0: As our educational settings have shifted dramatically in a short period of time, the teaching strategies and educational tools needed to be successful have pushed educators to discover new ways to provide information and collaborate. This week's guest, Jesse Lebinski, shares some exciting emerging technology and innovative solutions to enhance students' exploration, creativity, and risk-taking. In this episode, we also discuss the benefits of esports in schools, AR and VR tools in the classroom, Ready Learner One programs to support teachers with technology, and Jesse's books, The Esports Education Playbook, and Reality Bites. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Jesse, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'm really excited to be here. Man, it's been a joy to speak with you before we even push the record button, but uh, (laughs) you are just so easy to talk to and I'm really excited to talk about a bunch of different things, different topics that I have never spoken about on this podcast and that's more of the e-learning piece and and I can't wait to dive into that topic. But I wanna first talk about your leadership journey and I know there's a, a wonderful story behind that because you used to be an administrator, but now you're in a totally different field and I would just love to hear about how you are now the chief learning officer for Ready Learner One.
1: Sure. So yeah, my career's kind of followed a lot of different paths. So I started off as a, out of college, I was a technology consultant for Fortune 500 companies, thought I was going to really be breaking ground in the tech field, I guess. Yep. And then all of a sudden the tech bubble burst. And so I had always thought about being a teacher. I went into education as a career changer and did the New York City Teaching Fellows Program, which Mm -hmm. is almost like a Teach for America, but based in New York City. Yeah. So I taught middle school math in the Bronx uh, for a few years and then uh, moved up to the suburbs where I continued to teach. And then after a while, segued over into becoming a director of technology and innovation. Uh, Along the way, I'd earned my my master's in administration and then a couple of years ago, I uh, moved over, <laughs> moved back to the private sector as a as at a startup with a couple of my other colleagues, and we have an education startup, Ready Learner One, which uh, has been really exciting. I think there's always been this itch, you know. Back in my 20s, I was always very fearful of making the big move mm-hmm. at the wrong time. Yep. I guess, so, you know, I remember when my startup back when I was just out of college was kind of failing. I didn't jump off the ship fast enough. I was too afraid to make the move. And, you know, in many ways, I felt like this might be my last shot to kind of give it, give it a go and try to build something from the ground up. Sure. I think I have the credentials to always, you know, return to public education. I hope I do. I, I, I already do miss being part of the school community Mm -hmm. and, you know, the the day-to-day work of, of making things happen in a school district and especially, you know, the relationships with students and, Mm -hmm and uh, fellow educators. But this has been a really exciting time to be doing the work that we're doing around emerging technologies.
0: So I wanna talk about that because going from a private sector to then going into educational field and then also leading in the educational (laughs) field, that's a totally different environment. And as you know, the educational landscape is very different as a leader versus the private sector. So what was kind of the biggest hurdle that you had once you got into the educational space to to lead teachers and try and find your way beyond just like a, a private business,
1: I think if you talk to most career changers when they come from the business field into education, and I think a lot of teachers do have experience in business before yeah. coming into public education. In those conversations that I've always had with them, there's always been this kind of shock at the at how how glacial change happens. Mm-hmm. In the private sector usually a decision's made and kind of things happen and and there doesn't necessarily have to be a roadmap it's kind of we've defined what the endpoint is going to be and how we're going to transition and we're just going to make it happen whereas in public education and this isn't the fault of like unions or it's just, it's just it's a different setup and so oftentimes when I'm talking to my friends about some of the challenges of working in public education they'll just say well I don't understand why can't you just do this we're like yeah you can't do that and <laughs> And I think there's a happy balance, right? So I think it doesn't have to be as slow as we move. T- uh, we tend to move sometimes, but that I also understand some of the potential hurdles. And to be honest, that's been the main focus of our work at Ready Learner 1 has been with regards to emerging technologies, how do we accelerate those timelines for adoption? So for instance, you know the main focus of our work year one was on AR and VR and then eSports, mm-hmm. and we released the two books. So earlier this year, we released... Reality Bites, Innovative Learning Using Augmented and Virtual Reality. And then a couple of weeks ago, we released the eSports Education Playbook, Empowering Every Learner Through Inclusive Gaming. You know, as a leader, if you've ever been part of leading a technology initiative in a school district, you'll know that it kind of follows the same structure no matter what school you're in. You always have your early adopters Mm -hmm. who are always going to be kind of uh, fearless and guiding the way in terms of adopting technology. They don't have to have the roadmap in front of them in order to make things happen. You'll have your teachers that once they kind of see the the uh, prototype, so to speak, they're willing to kind of jump in and dip their toes in. They're not going to be first on the, on the, on the front line, but they'll fa- they'll fall in place. And then you have uh, you know a large group of teachers who either for whatever reason don't have the time or the interest or the perceived capability of adopting that technology. And I want to talk about that in a minute. But mm-hmm. what we've what our initial goal was, was how do we make these technologies more accessible to improve the rate of adoption and the timeline of adoption? So we think these technologies could be a value now rather than wait the traditional five to 10 year timeline for those to become mainstream adoption in the classroom. Mm -hmm. How do we help to create structures to support schools in bringing those into their school and then uh, successfully making them part of their instructional program? And so with ARVR, I feel like we took two different approaches. With ARVR. when we wrote that book, Reality Bites, we focused a lot on how do we create a common language and understanding around what these technologies can do. So if you think about some of the ways that ed tech leaders will kind of walk through technology with uh, teachers, they'll do it through the lens of existing standards that we use, whether it's the ISTE student standards or educator standards, the SAMR model, the 5Es, five, the 4Cs. Five mm-hmm. And so what we said was, well, it would be great to reframe these experiences that augmented and virtual reality can provide through those lenses but it may require a unique lens of its own and so we actually created our own instructional framework around these tools called the abc framework abc standing for absorb blend and create so we believe that all experiences with an ar and vr can fall under that absorbing blending or creating and with that different learning outcomes can be achieved depending on what Aspect of the framework you're looking in. So, we collected about three dozen stories from educators, put them into the book, and aligned them to all those various standards I mentioned before, as well as to our ABC framework to basically give teachers a common understanding of, oh, so this is what this technology can do. And based on that, now I can map that out to learning outcomes in the classroom. I always found that as an administrator, when it the most important thing in terms of technology adoption was creating that common vocabulary. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be able to do an observation with a teacher and talk to them without getting into the tech tool itself. Because ultimately, it's not about the tech tool. It's about the learning outcome. So let's talk about it then from how you plan on using it. So I've always loved the SAMR model. And actually, when after Reality Bytes came out and we met, Ruben pointed air and we got to give him a copy of the book. That was like my geek out <laughs> moment. I mentioned before we came on the air that the Mark Cabell thing at yes. Comic-Con, that was a, uh, a geek out moment for me in real life. Well, that was an ed tech kind of geek out moment for me. It was like, Oh my God, this guy came up with the Sarah model. <laughs> but um, I've always loved it. Cause again, it's not a ladder. It's not, we want you to get all of your stuff from substitution to redefinition. It's right. about creating this vocabulary so that, Oh, I can see as a teacher, if you're coming into this meeting with me, and you're talking about how you're using this tool for substitution, what I'm gathering is that you're being reflective about how you're using that technology in your classroom. And ultimately, that's what I cared more about was you thinking about the use of the tool. And it's funny, because I had a conversation with a friend today who was like, she was debating using two tools. And one, she was like, well, I'm going to get better product from the kids using this tool. But this one might actually be more aligned with what I'm trying to do. I'm like, well, then you have your answer, right? right? Because too often we fall into that trap of, I'm gonna right. Technology's always been this. I'm gonna use this because it's cool, mm-hmm. and that's. I I feel like hopefully we've moved very far away from those conversations, uh, into a place where now we're being more mindful about why we pick a tip uh, a specific technology tool to
0: use. Well, and I think that's a great point, and I think it's a good segue into the esports piece because. Oh yeah. I was at the Teach Better conference two years ago, and I remember there was a guy there that was talking about esports and their scholarships, and he was talking all up, and it was quite the presentation. It lured me in quite a bit, because that was an area that I didn't know existed. So <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing that most of my listeners listening right now, they don't even know what esports education is. Right, You're talking about common language with AR, VR, and then like really cool pieces here, but then I think the esports component that I didn't realize was like there's other things to it like not just the uh, gaming but the social emotional so, piece the communication it is so
1: deep it was a blessing for me to get to work on this book because i got to work with one of my uh ready learn one co-founders christine lyon bailey who we co-authored reality bites with mm-hmm. so we'd already worked together on a book project but uh chris Aviles and steve isaacs who are esports practitioners in their schools in new jersey have started teams at the middle school level and you know, one of my roles on the project was to interview people out in the field, people in schools who instituted e-sport prog- esports programs. And to get to spend that much time really doing a deep dive and learning about what the benefits are for students through esports programs mm-hmm. really made me such a staunch advocate for these programs to the point where I almost feel like. If you are not, at least at this point in time, looking into bringing an eSports program into your school, you're already behind and you're doing a disservice to your students. Because eSports programs, to me, have become that way of connecting all of your students to the school community. Mm -hmm. And I feel like as leaders, that's one of the things we're always struggling with is how do we connect to those students who haven't found their place in our school community? And esports can be that. And for your listeners who are not sure what I'm talking about right now, I feel like let me just take one step back. <laughs> so when I'm talking about esports, what I am talking about is competitive video gaming. Yeah. And you might be saying to yourself, wait a minute, like like Fortnite, what are we talking about? Like competitive video games. And that is different than gamification or game-based learning or even video games themselves. Right. We're not saying let's bring video games to the classroom and play games. That is different. What we are saying is when you create or create the structure in your school for an esports program, meaning it's a club or a varsity sport, where which many schools do, you are creating a place for your students to meet them where they are. Studies show most students are playing games. We are not saying replace English or social studies or science with games with games. Right. What we're saying is you have a large percentage of your school population that is already doing this. And as we've seen, we are going to lose students if we're not trying to engage them in the things we're passionate about. Mm -hmm. And the thing that's funny is you hear that language from leaders all the time. I've been very into lately pointing out the platitudes, (laughs) you know, the things that we all say that we know if we look closely at it, we're just saying it because we don't really mean it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if we're talking about creating lifelong learners, part of that is fostering that curiosity within them. And what they're curious about are the things that they're doing. But I think from a pragmatic standpoint, you mentioned the scholarship piece of esports. Yeah. What I think people need to understand is most of the people getting scholarships in for esports for colleges are, are not the gamers. They are the people doing all of the other work within an esports team or club. So the shoutcasters, the the managers, the writers. Uh, one of the interviews uh, in the book, I'd interviewed Dr. Chris Haskell, who was just named the Esports Coach of the Year at the collegiate level. He's at Boise State. They had given a scholarship to a journalism student who was going to be writing stories as part of the Esports team. Hmm. So I often liken this for my educator friends to those career and technical education programs that we would have in schools. And you know, as budgets kind of started to get cut down, those were the first programs to go. Sure, But we all knew how valuable those programs were and how they met the needs of a population in our schools that desperately needed to have school provide them with a foundation for success beyond school, meaning they might not go to college, but they needed to be able to get something out of school to be able to succeed in life from the time they graduate. And I feel like esports is providing them with those skills for those jobs of the future that either are just starting to exist or that haven't existed yet. We're giving them the life skills they need to be productive. Once they leave yeah. high
0: school. You talked about a little bit before, you know, cause we have a lot of administrators that are listening to this podcast that are currently in a leadership position. And if they are just loving everything that you said about esports and potentially the programs sure. after yeah. school, and they want to explore that opportunity for their students more, how does someone even start a program like that? Like, where do you start? <laughs> yeah, like, and, so, you know, me as an administrator, I'm thinking that must cost quite a bit of money to get started. I'm making an assumption, I know.
1: No, so so what I will say is this, is that, you know, what was interesting about our author team is that Chris and Steve are the practitioners doing the esports piece, Christine and I have both sat in leadership roles in school districts. And so we understand what it takes to get a program off the ground, whether it's district wide or school wide, Mm -hmm. and kind of what are the roles that everyone has to play in doing that. And so the book was actually written. It's funny. We wrote this book, the eSports Education Playbook, and you would think it's just basically a how to of how to get a club or a team off the ground. And the truth is we don't get to that till part four out of four of the book. So the, the first whole section of the book is about the SEL benefits for students you know uh, we talk about how it increases diversity uh, opportunities for equity and inclusion in your schools and and use research to support all of that and stories and tips uh, from people as well so we really lay the groundwork for why this is an important thing to have in a school in part two we get to a part which i think that i think parts two and three are the parts that administrators are really going to kind of gravitate towards because Part two, we call the the point counterpoint chapter. So we recognize a lot of people hear competitive video gaming or even video gaming at all, and they're triggered. They, <laughs> they automatically have this. Is so So in my head, I could, I could hear someone listening to this podcast and they're like, violence in games, too much screen time, toxic gaming culture, like all these right. de- gender concerns. So let's be honest, as leaders, part of our job is to protect our students and make sure we're not introducing something that could be uh, viewed as a negative, right? And so what we did was we went and did all the research, brought it all together, and, and we're, we're saying, look, we don't have all the answers, but we are gonna tell you that there's a lot of misconceptions out there about the role that video games play in our kids' lives, and here's the research. If you're gonna go into a conversation about starting an esports program, we want you to have all the information and at least be able to engage in, with dialogue with your stakeholders to let them know, hey, maybe we just wanna try this out, but here's the information. And because you know, the parents are going to be among the first stakeholder group that's going to, Definitely. Um, and I think I laid this out, basically say this may be the group you want to talk to first <laughs> and kind of build advocacy for, because I think as we all know, if we've sat in a leadership role, while parents are sometimes the scariest stakeholder group that we interact with, when they are on your side, they could be your staunchest advocates and really be the make or break in terms of getting a program off the ground. Yep. So if you have parents who are willing to support this initiative it will succeed. It will get off the ground. They will make sure it happens. If they think that that this is something that will be good for their kids, they will make sure it happens. And that goes right into the third part of the book, which is working with stakeholders. So yeah. who do you have to go to? And I'm sure as a leader, if you're listening to this, you know, or have probably experienced at some point in your career, trying to get something off the ground. And maybe you just forgot about talking to that one group. Like, Oh, I didn't talk to facilities. Oh, I didn't talk to, you know, my clerical staff to let them know. And we all know that sometimes we get tunnel vision in terms of what we need to do in order to get something done. And so we've put the thought into it and said, here are all the groups you need to talk to. Here's all the concerns they may have. So think through all of this ahead of time and start to build capacity before you get that program up and running here's what you need to do. You need to go to parents. You need to go to administration. You need to go to facilities. You need to go to your tech department. You need to go to your clerical department. Yeah. We walk through all of that like uh, and all the logistics. Finally, now that you're convinced the program's a good idea and you've gotten your program and, and you know you've talked to all your stakeholders, here's how you do it. Here's how you fund it. Here's how you secure an advisor. Here's how you do all the different things. Because one of the things I think people believe about esports is you have to have someone on your staff that knows a lot about video games. And the truth is you need someone who knows nothing about video games. You just need someone who cares about kids and giving them opportunities to succeed because the kids will take a leadership role in running this, whether it's at the middle school level, whether it's at the high school level, your kids need help from you in organizing and creating structures and guidance. Mm -hmm. but they don't need you to tell them how to play games. They need your help in creating the structures. And if they're passionate about it, they'll be able to take a responsible role in
0: making sure it succeeds. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of power in that too, right? Isn't that what we want our students to do? That's exactly what we want. Exactly. Yes. No, I love that piece. And I love everything that is brought by the esports program and... I'm so glad that you went through the book. Definitely check that out. I wanna touch on your other book too, The Reality Bites, because you did mention that. Sure. And that talks about more of the AR and the VR in the classrooms. So, you know, for those types of tools, like I know in in my school, I don't really believe that's a tool that's being used in the classroom. That's kind of a foreign concept to me. But why are those tools so important for enhancing the learning in the classroom?
1: So it's so funny. Reality Bites came out in January of 2020. So we started doing the whole book tour thing and we're going around and we actually went to a few events where we would bring VR equipment and set up these innovation labs for educators to try it on. Because if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to put on like an Oculus or something like that. It's the type of technology that until you experience it, you can't fully grasp what the possibilities are for students. And so one thing I always talk about, it's it's uh, it falls under the absorb category. So it's not like we're having students create content or take risks, but it's the Anne Frank house experience. And what that experience will allow you to do is students can literally navigate through and walk through Anne Frank's house, not as Mm -hmm. it is now, but as it was back then virtual reality uh, graphics artists rendered it the way it looked when she lived there. And there were objects uh, all around that you could pick up. And when you pick up a book, for instance, you'll hear a young girl reading from the diary in Anne Frank's voice. And the ability for these technologies to evoke empathy from our students, to give them an understanding of what it's like to actually experience some of the things that they just read about is incredibly powerful. So we released the book in January 2020. Pandemic hits in February. Sure. And so a lot of people come to us and they're like, wow, this is the time for AR and VR. And we're like, is it though? Because... I don't think people want to start swapping headsets and using <laughs> and like, here, share this and put this on your head. Right. So th- the truth is one of the things we've been working on uh, during the pandemic is actually taking a look at different web-based AR and VR tools to allow you to ex- to get the benefits of these technologies, right. but without having some of the concerns. And so one tool we love is Mozilla Hubs, which if you've ever tried it, you just go to hubs.mozilla.com in your browser hit create a room, and it will allow you to create a virtual space where I can give the code to my students and my students will join with virtual avatars. And so one workflow that I, I often talk about, and apologies if you've heard me talk about this before, it's the Pinecone workflow. So Micah Shippy, who is our CEO, he actually found a Pinecone in his backyard that he wanted to show his students. So he had scanned it in using his phone, using the clone app. It turned the Pinecone into a digital asset that he was able to then upload into hubs. So we were able to pass around this pine cone that he scanned in from his backyard. And so I don't think the future of education is us just in these virtual environments sharing, but I think the capabilities to be able to create immersive learning experiences for our students is really going to be 10 x by these technologies and really made accessible in a way that we haven't been able to do before. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing we did with Reality Bites was Reality Bites is a fully web AR enabled book. So if you took the back cover of Reality Bytes and just scanned the QR code and then flipped it back over to the front cover, Micah, Christine and I pop out of the cover and start talking to you about the book. If you go to any of the chapter titles, images pop up that allow you to actually navigate and manipulate them. So a heart, for instance, pops up out of one of the chapters. You touch the heart, it starts beating, it, it, it dissects and shows you the different parts of the heart. So the idea was to take a book and actually create an immersive experience that could mirror what a learning experience might be like in the years to come. Yes. So we felt like if we weren't at the forefront of this, it, you can't claim that you're the definitive book on AR and VR and education and then not be using the best technology to help readers experience what that might be like.
0: This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and
1: the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash
0: Now let's get back to the episode. want to talk about another project that's connected to Ready Learner One, which is your PD platform for educators changemaker EDU. So I want to know about that program.
1: Sure. So the pandemic hits, we were quickly like, what can we do to support our fellow educators? And so we actually first created a support program back when the pandemic first started when educators were really just like, I don't know what to do, they expect me to be in a virtual learning thing. So we went out to our our networks and said, If you're willing to volunteer some time, we'll help coordinate and put you in touch with a teacher who can use some support. So we created a schedule. We had a bunch of people chipping in to to give their time, to help educators. And out of that, we were like, you know what? It would be great if we ran a summer conference to kind of help support the learning that's been happening over those first few months of the pandemic. So we ran a change maker conference, virtual conference. It was free for educators. The cool part was this started in... My office, where I'm sitting right now, the idea for this, and from the time we came up with the idea to the time we actually ran the conference was probably like two and a half weeks, and we wound up with over two thousand attendees from thirty countries. Wow! So I think it was a really eye-opening moment for us in terms of this need for um, professional development, but also for the continuation of this community that started to form out of not just the work we've been doing, but I think that educators, you know. Obviously, conferences haven't looked the same. Professional development hasn't looked the same. Someone was just telling me today that, you know, with virtual PD, sometimes people just want to get out of their school, be with other educators and just talk. And even just by recreating that virtually doesn't hit those same social and emotional needs of our educators. Yeah. So what we're looking to do is we're actually launching this uh, right after the new year we've already kind of started is we are trying to democratize professional development by trying to answer the question as, of how do we provide every student with a teacher who's been trained by the best possible trainer? Mm. And so we know that if you're in a school that's in a rural environment, or if you're in a school that's in a socioeconomically disadvantaged environment, that you may not have the same opportunity for professional development as other districts. So how do we help bring low, co- low cost, high quality professional development into your school district? So that's the essential question we're trying to answer and we're hoping to do that in this next uh year with our change maker platform which should be launching in the in the new year. I would keep an eye out for that. You could uh, find out more information at readylearner.1 or changemakeredu.org.
0: I love that program. That's awesome. And I think that's so needed as far as a community that'll provide that information to them. I'm um, trying not to give away all the
1: secret sauce on like what's involved <laughs> in it, but I think we have a roadmap for something that can be that can be really successful. Mm-hmm. So I think that you know we love our work around emergent technology, but I think that is a piece of the puzzle, right? The bigger piece is how do we help increase teacher capacity? I will tell you that the one positive that's come out of the and Josh, I'd be curious to hear if if this has been your experience, but you know you have all these educators across the world that were thrown into this pandemic and. Yes teachers generally will underreport their technology capabilities so teachers will generally say i'm not a technology person i can't do it but if you actually break down their skills in an assessment like whenever i would survey my teachers in my in my former district i would notice that they were self reporting higher than what they would actually anecdotally say about their own technology skills yeah. and so now you have all these teachers who were thrown into virtual learning or hybrid learning and it has been Literally trial by fire. <laughs> and so now we're coming out of the other end of this. And I think the worst thing that we could hope for is a return to normal. I think the question we should be asking ourselves as leaders is how do we take this increased capacity our teachers have now for integrating technology into their classrooms and use that to make the shift, right? There's been very few times that we've been able to look, to, that we could point to as a disruption to the entire system of education. Yeah. And for better or or worse, this has provided that opportunity for disruption. So I think while I think we're all starved to get back to the classroom and be with our kids and Mm -hmm. have that feeling of a return to normalcy, I think there's some doors that we've opened that we can't close and we can't look away and we can't say we want our teachers now to go back completely to doing what they were doing, because I think we've all seen our teachers can do a lot more than what we thought that struggle we've always had for how do we move everybody further and give them all the skills they need to have. Well, guess what? We kind of did that accidentally and maybe they, maybe they didn't have the support they needed and maybe we still need to provide more, but we know that we're in a much better place. We have a much stronger foundation for what our teachers can do. And so I'm definitely excited to see what we can do in our classrooms given that higher capacity for technology integration.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more with the level of comfort that they felt immediately when they, on a dime, had to switch over to the virtual um, space. But I can tell you that I've been so proud of my teachers as far as what they've been able to produce in such a short period of time. And uh, honestly, I feel like this experience was more about giving them the confidence because they already had the skills. It was just a matter of getting them to implement them with the classroom and, and with their students. And you and I talked about how, you know,
1: the holiday break is right around the corner. Yep. But let's be real here for a second. Teachers are limping into this. Oh, for sure. Like like t- hybrid learning. <laughs> if you're if you are not an educator and you're listening to this podcast, well, first of all kudos to you. Uh <laughs> the set, but but what I would say is I think there's this misconception that you know, now they're just doing the same thing with kids who are in the classroom and kids who are they're literally having to design two sets of lessons for every yeah. lesson. They're doing double the work they were doing and the execution part Requires a level of interactivity that just is was never even something that was on un- conceivable to them that they'd have to do this. Correct. So I would say that if you look back in March, teachers were freaking out about I can't do this, I don't know how to do this. And quickly the conversation shifted to, I'm doing this. Yep. I don't know if I'm being successful, but I'm doing it and I'm giving it my all. And I know teachers that had been working all day then going home and recording videos all night and one of my friends one of my best friends actually said to me (laughs) i was talking to him about like doing something on sunday and he's like i don't know i've got to re-record these videos i did months ago because they're not as good as the ones i'm doing right now and I'm like, oh my, <laughs> at a certain point, you have to, you have to let it go. You, you're going to burn out, right? For sure. But that's the level of perfection that our teachers expect of themselves. So it, it's very frustrating when you hear people degrading teachers or making it seem like they're just coasting or that if they're not in the classroom, because you have no idea how hard teachers are working right now. And yes. I think we're all seeing it and we're all seeing how they've been able to, to rise to this challenge and be successful and use technology in meaningful ways the way we've always wanted them to,
0: Yeah,
1: right? So, because they've been forced away from the worksheet. We finally, <laughs> some people are finding ways to, to recreate it, but even if you are, you're recreating it and maybe you're using a Google form, but now all of a sudden you have data to analyze that you didn't have before. Correct. So even the traditional way that we thought people were doing things we didn't want them to do, they're doing it at an elevated level even there. So I think that it's a it's a frustrating time it's also an exciting time uh, to think about what we're going to be able to do moving forward. And hopefully as leaders, you know, we're understanding there's a balance to the two, right. That we have to, I guess my one advice to, with leaders would be just, and I'm sure most of you, if you're listening to this, you're probably doing that already, but make sure that the proper supports are in place. And I'm not talking about the support for the tech tools or or even having the coach, but that educators feel supported to take risks still, because I, that's the one area where I feel like teachers are, are are shying away a little bit is they're still afraid to take risks because I know some schools still have implemented, um, you know, formal assessments of teachers in, in the pandemic time, which is crazy. But, yes. you know, everyone has their own, uh, you know, every district kind of has charted their own course and no teacher's experience seems to be the same this year.
0: Correct. Jesse, you talked about professional development with the Ready Learner 1 but I wanted to talk about another professional development that you provide, which is your podcast, which is the Partial ah. Credit Podcast. <laughs> and as a fellow podcaster, I love hearing kind of origin stories of, of where these podcasts come from. So let's talk about partial credit.
1: I don't think I've ever referred to partial credit as professional development, but sure, I'm, I'm happy to talk about that. Um, so partial credit is um, the the brainchild of myself, Donnie Piercy, who's an educator from Kentucky. He actually was just named the 2021 Kentucky Teacher of the Year. Nice. And uh, Jeffrey Heil, who's an educator from San Diego, he was not named the Kentucky <laughs> Teacher of the Year. But the three of us have been friends for years. We've traveled together. We've presented together. And just like most educator friends, you know, that you wind up staying up and talking late and just having these really great philosophical discussions. Ours were always tinged with education talk and sports talk and pop culture talk and just kind of like fun things. And we were like, you know what, what if we just took these conversations and we were looking at the podcast space and talking about the podcast that we love. And we wanted to do something a little bit different. So our podcast is an education podcast, but we like to call it, you know, the the marriage of education, pop culture and shenanigans because- We usually have an educator on. We'll talk about some serious topics. Then it kind of shifts off into you know pop culture. Like occasionally, an like example. We've, <laughs> right, that's right. We have our holiday, our holiday episode launched today. We had a a really good holiday conversation around kind of the the ghost of classrooms past, present, and future, and what we kind of see for the classrooms with our guests. And yep. then that that launched into a partial credit, Rotten Tomatoes thing about a Home Alone that lasted thirty minutes. <laughs> Uh, you know, we've drafted schools based on SNL characters, so we try to have, offer something a little bit different than the traditional education conversation. But hopefully, our educate our listeners enjoy it. We we are part we are a proud part of the education podcast network. Yes, uh, with shows like House of EdTech and Podcast PD, mm-hmm. a lot of great shows on the network. Le- a leader of learning with uh, Dr. Dan Kranis. Yeah,
0: love Dr. Dan. Yeah,
1: it's been a wild ride. I think we just. This last episode was episode sixty-four. So uh, we've been we've been plugging away. I think that we've been doing it for a little over two years, oh, two and a half years. Awesome. So it's been uh, it's been good. You know, when you talk to podcasting can be a nice reprieve from the real world. Sometimes I find like sometimes that I look forward to recording night the most because it's just like talking to your friends and yep. talking to interesting people and having a conversation just like this. Like this has been one of the nicest parts of my day. Josh. Oh, this for sure.
0: Is- <laughs> this is definitely the highlight of my day. I can promise you that. Right.
1: So. <laughs> It's just nice to talk to people who know what it's like to be in your shoes and to, to really just talk about what can we do to make education a better place. And even if we have a couple of people who smiled or we made your car ride a little bit better, that was worth it for us.
0: Jesse, I want to ask, you know, for those who are looking to enhance or maybe even just dive into esports, how can they connect with you on social media?
1: Sure. So I'm Jay Lubinsky in most places. So at J-L-U-B-I-N-S-K-Y on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Obviously on LinkedIn, you can find me at jessielubinsky.com or readylearner.one is where our company is. Partial Credit can be found at partial.credit or wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, We're also on Twitter and Instagram at partialcredited. And uh, I almost made this as a joke, but uh, I'm totally for real. I've been very obsessed with my peloton lately. I, I think <laughs> as a result of the pandemic, yeah. I'm soda popinski on on the peloton. If anyone's interested in <laughs> in, uh, in going for a ride, and then one, the esports education playbook, we are actually running a, la- a launch promo through the new year, and that you can find out more information about that at bit.ly/esports playbook promo. So if you purchase a copy of the book off Amazon and just send us a proof of purchase through that form, we will provide you with not one, but two digital resource kits, a starter kit, which will have like a bunch of the forms and articles and stuff like that you may need. And then in the spring, we'll be sending out a curriculum kit complete with an esports health and wellness kit, content creator, social, emotional learning. And I think there were a couple of other ones. So we have all these curricula that we've developed and we want to share them and help people to get their esports programs off
0: the ground. That's so cool. And so I'll make sure I have that in the show notes, Jesse, for the listeners. So they click on that and make sure that they get those resources in addition to your wonderful book, the eSports Education Playbook. And then also make sure that you check out Jesse's other book, Reality Bites. Reality Bites. Wonderful resource for AR and VR. Jesse, it has been a pleasure to speak with you this evening. You are a wealth of information with technology. And I'm so (laughs) excited for people to get their hands on these resources.
1: Thanks so much for having me and have a happy holiday, everyone.